general nerdery. So my family's been dealing with a lot of, like, end-of-life stuff lately. You know, starting this podcast off on a super positive note here, boys. <laughs> Don't worry, it gets good. But, uh, yeah, and it's just... One generation's really old, next generation's getting older. I am no longer a young chipper child, so, like, let's figure this shit out now so we can worry about it later. And the point of this is that I am going to be setting up a will sometime in the next year. That's, like, my big goal. But as I was thinking about stuff that's going to go into the will, I start thinking about the shit that I own. And mostly what I own can be broken down into three categories. Comic books, Belagarth phone sighting supplies, and art supplies. And I just imagine if I have to talk to some fucking lawyer about this, the most wild fucking will that's going to be coming up in this. Well, the Green Lantern comics are going here, and the Nightwing has to go to Roar! <laughs> um, I love that. Yeah. Just as long as you remember, your body's your own, your water is the tribe's. <laughs> gave tears to the dead. <laughs> Welcome to General Nerdery, your podcast about liking things. We're your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. And once again with us, we have the best of boys himself. Hello, I'm William. Will, I saw you on Saturday, but it's still good to see you again. And it is good to be back, back here again. It's good to see you again because it's been a lot longer than it that for has. me. So yeah, we haven't it's been a while. You haven't been on the show, I don't think, since what the um, your fave is problematic. Mm, yeah, I think that was the last one. You so. were on that in the first Pokemon one. Yeah, yeah, I think. This and is, God, yeah, I don't think, I think you two my... have seen each other since our last Irvern meeting, which was uh, before COVID. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a minute. So. Oh my God! It's good to have you back. Uh, on the note of your verm, real quick, I was meaning to say this. If you listen to the, like, well, the three shows that Tyler and I do together on your verm, <laughs> I kind of want to give a slight apology for the fact that our production rates have been dog shit lately. There is four or five people involved in the creation of the three different shows, and every single one of us has had something bad that's made us have to cancel. Not, like, life-ending bad, but, like... Oh, bad. shit, I can't yeah. record, you know, oh, I've been quarantined. Oh, I lost my voice. Oh, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. um, and none of it's happened at the same time. It's been like, Naturally. Monday's coming up. Well, guess I better cancel the thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, way more than I want to do. So uh, I apologize. Hopefully we're getting back on schedule. I'm not promising that because that's the best way to guarantee I just got COVID. Right, um, right. But <laughs> fingers crossed. We're I'm not going to knock on wood because on it, it would fuck with our sound, but <laughs> <laughs> I know it's always scary when uh, podcasts start missing their updates. We promise we're still working on stuff. We're, we're going bigger in the upcoming year, but uh, yeah. What the, what have we been ingesting lately? What have we been? I mean, um, as previously mentioned and as I expected, I did beat Mass Effect 2. So, so you're on to three? Good. So I'm on to three. I'm like two hours into three. I haven't been able to put too much time into it yet because uh, life. But uh, I'm super enjoying that still. And other than that, it's actually been mostly like listening to the audiobook of Dune to just get it all super fresh in my mind. Again. Do you have the audible one? Yes. Okay, I have to ask you, what do you think of their choice of having a different person for each like a, a different cast member for each person talking. That makes me like it more. Really? Because, okay, so here's the thing. Now that I have started to listen to more audiobooks, because it is 
uh, a lot easier to prepare for the <laughs> uh, podcast that way, it turns out. Mm-hmm. I have found what I don't like most about them and what has... I, I can actually, like, vocalize okay. why I avoided audiobooks for so long. Because they're not adaptations. They're just somebody reading the fucking book at you. Interesting. That's what I like about them. If, uh, if I, I get I, what you're saying, but like... If I'm hearing a story audibly, I want it told as a story. And the way that you tell a story, if you're just telling it out loud to someone, and the way that you tell it when you're writing it down is different. Okay, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely want to say I'm not always like, no, I don't like it if there's multiple people going. Because, mm. like, World War Z worked as well as it did because of the cast. Go listen to the episode. I, I'm fucking over the moon about the cast we have on that. Mm-hmm. But I found it really distracting in this one. See, for me, the more ways you can make it into more of an adaptation, the more I like it. Fair. I think what bothers me, and this is kind of diving into the weeds, is one, I mean, I thought the narrator was pretty good, so I just didn't really need more, but again, Mm -hmm. anything. But what bothered me is whenever it's internal monologue, the narrator just read it out in his voice for those characters. But whenever it's spoken dialogue... It's the cast member. Mm. Mm. And it took me a minute to figure out what was happening. And I'm like, what? Mm. Are their editors just fucking terrible? Why do they not do? Like, Paul's supposed to be doing this voice, not omniscient narrator pretending to be Paul. Oh, it's his inside voice. And it pulled me out every time that they did that, unfortunately. Um, I will say, though, also the way that I have been listening to audiobooks... I have had to get past a couple issues with voice anyway, because I refuse to listen to them at one time speed. I am not spending that fucking long on a book. Yeah, I've got a 41 hour mm. audiobook coming up and I've not dived into it for that exact reason. And so much like uh, I edit our podcasts at at least one and a half times speed, I have been kicking every audiobook uh, I've been listening to up to about 1.6. So you've just been listening to like no, so with they, like the Benny Hill theme. No, going they in the don't. Background? They don't do like it. Doesn't turn it into the Chipmunks version. Like they have. <laughs> they do have like um, like there's some processing that compensates, and so it it pitches things back down to the pitch that they should be but you can hear that processing sometimes. Mm, I can see that. Okay. I might have to try that out for some books. I don't know. It's interesting. Um, let's see. For myself, I last night DM'd, I guess, DM is not the right term because that's uh, uh, D&D specific, but I was the keeper for a Monster of the Week campaign which is a Powered by the Apocalypse TTRPG, tabletop role-playing game. It's D&D, but not D&D for those of you who do not play mm-hmm. D&D. Um, I'm going to go with DM'd or GM'd because I, Keepered sounds weird. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 the idea of this game is very specifically based off the classic Monster of the Week format of, you know, X-Files, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, even... Stuff like Xeno Warrior Princess would count, or Smallville, which is what kind of really got me into it when we did the Smallville mm-hmm. episodes. Um, but to do it very thematically correct, we have set it in 1995, which is the height yeah. of like the Monster of the Week as a genre of television that was going on. Okay. 
And then Cece's character is, I'm not going to go into the case because that gets boring, but uh, she decided that watching Batman was going to be a very pivotal moment for her character. And so I was like, oh, man, I know what Batman to put on. Like, because you've never seen the Batman of this that would have been coming out at the time. So I put on Batman Forever. One, not realizing that it is literally the number one movie in the exact month that I put their, them in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh, fuck. Uh, uh, I watched Batman Forever for the first time in probably 20 years. Now, we have discussed on the podcast before, Batman Forever was a literal life-changing moment for me. <laughs> because I thought comics were dumb. And then my babysitter had rented Batman Forever because she also worked at Crazy Mike's video. And you were just pulled in by the power of Val Kilmer's pouty lips. I was changed forever. (laughs) Which is funny because someone talked about, I think it was Steven, uh, our Word Balloons editor and Stowaway, uh, that a lot of people watched Batman Forever and suddenly realized that they were gay. And I watched Batman Forever and realized I was a comic book fan. (laughs) Um, But it was was amazing to watch for the first... Like, it's not a good movie. I should say that (laughs) while saying it's amazing to watch. But it is so interesting to watch it as an adult. It has moments that are legit good. Uh Uh-huh. And most of the... The cold open is legit, like, super One of the best Batman scenes ever filmed. Now, um, now it has been an age and a half since I've seen these. Tommy Lee Jones is Two Face. Jim Carrey is the Riddler. Okay. Val Kilmer as uh, Batman, and Nicole Kidman as a really terrible psychologist. What was her name? Chase Meridian. Thank you. Weird other little bit of like mixing. Chase Meridian was introduced to the comic books for the first time last month. What? Yep. (laughs) Chase Meridian is now part of DC canon. Yes. I don't know why that makes me so happy. Because I was because I was seven when I first watched this movie, which means Nicole Kidman was one of the first women to make me feel things that I did not understand at the age of seven. In the scene where she shows up on top of the uh, uh, police building. How did she get in there, first of all? Wearing the lingerie because she set off the bat signal to try and seduce Batman. The first sign that she's maybe not a great psychiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> she also makes a lot of jokes about black rubber in that scene that I didn't get when I was a kid. <laughs> um, nice. It is... Do I recommend you watch it 100% wholeheartedly? You should watch this movie with an open mind and see what we have kind of taken from it as superhero stuff. Am I going to recommend it as a movie that is like quality that you will grow from as a person? Absolutely not. (laughs) But I did ride the high of this movie for like three days afterwards. Just like happy childhood nostalgia bubbles. Well, let's see. Well, a lot of my time's been going to... Deep Rock Galactic. I don't know what that is. Let's see. Picture... I've heard the name. Yeah. Let's say... Combine Minecraft with Starship Troopers. Okay. So, going underground, and there's all these bugs down there that want to kill you, but thankfully... Neil Patrick Harris is on your side? And he's a psychic! (laughs) (laughs) But thankfully, you're a... You're a tough as rock dwarf. Okay, that part's cool, but unfortunately, the no Neil Patrick Harris is a psychic. Like putting that in there has just ruined this game for me. <laughs> I can promise you, they do at least have a shit ton of 
references to Starship Troopers. They have multiple lines that are kind of just ripped straight from... Terrible goddamn movie, but it is a lot of fun. <laughs> no, I would like to know more. <laughs> God. You're fired. You're not because you're the editor and I don't actually know how to edit podcasts. But, uh... Um, but yeah, you're, you're a dwarf. You go underground for... Uh, Whatever mission it is that the uh, the company because you're dwarfs, Deep that's what you yeah, fucking do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the company Deep Rock Galactic uh-huh. sends you in, and so like, are you space dwarfs? Yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. You're space I'm dwarfs. Back in. I'm um, back in. They occasionally talk smack on elves. We Can you wear all red as a dwarf in space? The engineer wears all red. Does it make you go faster? Is that the joke you're making here? No, I just wanted to be a red dwarf. Oh my god. Oh. Oh, 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 man, that made me angry. Okay, <laughs> good. Pretend I'm working for the Jupiter Mining Corps. Did you yeah. ever watch Red Dwarf? You messaged I me for like two to, months. No, yeah, no, I need to, and it just, it, it does. It, it's it a little hard happen. to get your hands on. Yeah, and I'm lazy about acquiring media. So, uh, so I mean, it's going to happen eventually because your guys' episode talking about it. Talk us into it. Another yeah. successful general nerd. <laughs> yeah. But it'll be a while just because I'm lazy about acquiring media. Oh, and, and there's so fucking much. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, you're a dwarf. You go underground. There's bugs that try to kill you. And uh, and at the end of each mission, you have like a desperate scramble to get back to the drop pod. Because as mission control reminds you at the end of every mission, drop pod will leave with or without you. Thank you for your service to Deep Rock Galactic. I was wondering for just a second if it's because worms always come. If you haven't noticed, we're doing a Dune episode today, <laughs> so there's going to be a lot of those references until the movie part comes up. Um, let's see. And I guess, I guess, speaking of worms, um, apparently, uh, I've also been, pl- well, um, I've been playing Back for Blood, which I mm. guess is I understand from like. A li- very tiny bit of background I've done in that game. I guess their zombies are caused by worms or oh. some shit. I don't really know. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's zombies. Yeah, yeah. Zombies shoot them. What caused the zombies is the least interesting part of zombies. Yeah. I'm not a huge Walking Dead fan, but they at least, like, they had that part figured out pretty quick. Mm. Agreed. Like oh zombies looks like we have a zombie problem. Why? <laughs> who cares? Yeah. Um. And I mean, for those of you who have not pay- played Back for Blood, if you've played Left for Dead, oh, that's more... what this is. I wanted yeah. to play that. Yeah. It's yeah. It's more. It's it's Left for Dead, but I would say evolved with a little more strategic death. Well, it's, it's been like ten years. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's. I mean, it's Left for Dead, but grown uh, you know grown a little bit further left for dead 2 is in my top three of the zombie genre which oh, means it's oh, yeah. one of like four things i like in the zombie genre <laughs> it's left for dead but it's legally not left for dead is there is it not valve or it's i don't know it's a spiritual successor it's a lot of the same uh, yeah, people that worked on it ah. but it's not and actually they, because you've refused to do <laughs> left for dead 3 since zach was in college <laughs> you playing that on the switch uh no nope i um, I do almost all of my gaming on PC, though I do, after having played Pokemon Mystery Dungeon on my Switch at your house. Through what, the whole movie, three, yes. Yeah, like <laughs> three days ago, I am probably going to be playing 
a lot more Switch for the next at least month. At least a mm. month. I don't play it a whole lot anymore, but mostly because every time I turn around, my wife is once again playing Breath of the Wild, <laughs> and I would never <laughs> deprive someone of Breath of the Wild because it's <laughs> fucking glorious, so... it's uh... fair. Uh... Oh! I haven't told this on the... Yeah, yeah. We're thinking of Breath of the Wild. So uh, you've played it. I don't think you mm, have. No, no. No, I'm pointing at people. They can't see this. Um, I have not played it. <laughs> there we go. I have. So one A of the bit. things in Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild is there are things called Koroks. Yes. <laughs> the, and you have to find... The, I do if, understand this much. If you much find that, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, you found me. It is my wife's absolute favorite thing. I should just say, Cece, you all know her at this point. She's been on the show. My Her absolute favorite thing in the game is to find Koroks. So I bought an unstated number of Korok plushes and have hid them around the house. <laughs> nice. Hell yeah. With little notes saying, ya ha ha, you found me, which is what they say. And she can replicate unnervingly well. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Um, and it's like the highest tier husband move I have ever pulled off. And I do not know how to top it. And I'm scared to try. You'll figure out something. I, sure. I got time. Um, should we get into some news? What do we got for news? Fantastic Four! Um, what do we want to start with? Let's do Star Wars first. It's easy and quick. Okay, uh, yeah, so we officially have casting for Sabine Wren in the Star Wars Ahsoka series that's going to be coming up on Disney+, and Natasha Lou Bordizzo, who uh, most recently has been in, I believe it's a Netflix series, The Society. I think so, yes. Um, Sabine Wren is one of the main characters in Rebels. It was kind of assumed with what Ahsoka has been taking and what uh, Mandalorian has been taking from Rebels that she was going to appear eventually uh, uh, without giving away too much. At the very end of Rebels, Ahsoka leaves with Sabine. So the moment they said they were doing a Soka show, we knew this was going to happen. That said, this news is cool, but I don't, I don't think either one of us have much to say about it because I've never seen anything she's in and you haven't ever watched Rebels. Right. So cool. Like she looks great. I'm still of the opinion that we don't need to make everything cool this animated live action, but I fucking Rebels is probably my all time favorite Star Wars thing. So I am excited for more of Sabine's journey mm -hmm. she's my favorite mandalorian and mandalorians are one of my favorite things in star wars so she's she's fucking s-ranked tier yeah she's as, up there <laughs> plus she does tie-dye armor and as will will know from playing wacky bats <laughs> with me i love putting as many bright colors on my armor as i can i'm up to like eight right now <laughs> brilliant yeah i wish i had more to say but i just haven't put the time in to get to rebels yet so it's there it's cool Fucking watch Rebels, it's worth your time. The only reason I have suggested we do a Rebels show on this is because I know you haven't finished Clone Wars yet. Right, right. We should probably do a Clone Wars show first to make me watch it. Oh, boy. <laughs> we have a big four-parter come up, which is way bigger than anything we've ever done. So I am not thinking about big projects until that one is done. I agree. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. What do we want? Let's do Spider-Man next. Oh, right. So we watch. So they dropped uh, what I believe is the final full trailer before we start getting only TV spots for, for uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, which is this is pretty much the point that I stop watching trailers. I know you're the same way. Yeah, I don't care for TV spots. Um, I want to hear your thoughts on this, Will, because we watched this just before and I don't even know if you have thoughts on Spider-Man, but 
it does kind of show that everything they showed off as like the big things in the first trailer look like it's about the first 20 minutes of this movie. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wish we hadn't gotten this trailer because that would have been a good, I was already sold and that would have been a good gimme. That would have been a good surprise. It would have been mm-hmm. James Gunn killing off half the suicide squad in the suicide first 13 minutes of the suicide squad. Right. Yeah. First, will any thoughts? Um, I mean, it's fun to see this rendition of Doc Ock back. Alfred Molina is the thing I am absolutely most excited about. He is my all-time favorite version of Doc Ock. It's been a very long time since mm-hmm. I have watched that particular Spider-Man, but I very much... I've been scared to watch it because I don't want it to be bad in retrospect. <laughs> I don't think it is. But, but just in case. I've been really yeah. wanting to risk it. Just in case. I get that. Because I legitimately thought Batman Forever was great for like 10 years and like let that settle. Um, <laughs> so it's a Sinister Six movie, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> I did find it like, come on, what the fuck? When they rebuilt Electro to look fucking sweet. Yeah. By the way, like what Electro should have looked like in Amazing Spider-Man 2. And yet they kept the fucking original Sam Raimi Green Goblin armor. They did some tweaks, but like minor tweaks, but it's it's pretty much the same. Um, there was a period in the early two thousands where we could not accept that the Green Goblin's just kind of fucking sweet. We don't need to turn him into a giant, like werewolf goblin man thing, and we don't need to turn him into a fucking Iron Man power armor. We could just let him be a weirdo dressing <laughs> like a goblin. Like, how do you not love that? We do seem to maybe have two goblins. Yes. Whether whoever the second goblin is. Someone messaged me about that and I was like, nah, I don't think so. And then I watched it on your big ass TV and I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, I, well, I didn't because I don't think it's the James Franco version because no. one, no one wants to deal with James Franco anymore. And two, he had, oh God, it wasn't even the broomstick. He had the fucking flying snowboard. Yeah. Instead of a goblin glider. And I'm like, no, 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 hold on. You took one of the coolest pieces of bizarre supervillain tech, a glider that you stick your feet on shaped like a bat that you just fly for like, and hope nothing bad goes down. (laughs) And you gave him a fucking skateboard, like five years too late. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Second one. I don't know. It very briefly on screen, maybe Dane DeHaan. Yeah. But Dane DeHaan's version sucks too. Yeah. Maybe just New Goblin. I don't... There's I, there's universes colliding. Yes. Both versions of Harry... Okay, interestingly, my favorite versions of Doc Ock are the two ones from uh, t- movies. Mm-hmm. And the two worst versions of Harry Osborn are the ones from the movies. He's a little bitch in both of them. I agree. And I mean, Harry Osborn is a little bitch. Like, that's kind of always been, like, a major facet of his character. <laughs> but they... I almost want to say they were too good at like zoning in on that <laughs> was not Dane DeHaan's fan. Not a huge fan of him, but uh, it, it wasn't his fault. Uh, now we didn't watch it, but in the international version of that same trailer in the big shot where everybody's jumping at each other, where Sandman's in the background, it goes on literally only about a half a second longer, but the internet noticed mm-hmm. it. But in that half a second, you can tell that, Assets were digitally removed because fucking Lizard gets just walloped in the face. But we don't see what's walloping him. Yeah. Look, I we know, know the other Spider-Men are in it. 
I know that was supposed to be your big giveaway, but honestly, we found out too early. Mm-hmm. What they should have done is hidden, because we knew that we were getting Electro and uh, uh, Doc Ock. Yes. We could have hidden Willem Dafoe more, so only nerds like you and I would have known about it. I didn't realize they were doing Lizard and Sandman. You you could have kept those things gone. Well, and it seems to be last week, I, I didn't see the image, but it's, I think, an image leak that seemed to actually confirm Charlie Cox showing up. In dark glasses. I will believe... Uh, Charlie Cox played Daredevil in the Daredevil TV show. Okay. And he okay. killed it in that role. Oh, he's so good. Um, I understand why they don't necessarily want the Netflix shows to be in canon, because they were a little over the top. And by that, I mean they were super fucking over the top. <laughs> but you could bring back all of those actors. Maybe not Iron Fist, but even then, like, I didn't hate him enough to be like, nah, you have to recast him. He was getting better by the very end of that second season. Honestly, most of my problems with Danny Rand was not the actor, it was the writing. So if you're going to fucking fix that, then do it. And the fight choreography. Okay, but I don't Daredevil shouldn't be, like, noticeably better fighter than Iron Fist. <laughs> uh, let's see. I'm trying to think if there was anything else in it. No, Lizard gets walloped. I do wonder if... If because they are willing to show us all this, what they might still be holding back on, do we get other, not Spider-Men, but Spider-People? Does Nick Cage show up as Spider-Man Noir? Bring Kirsten <laughs> Dunstan as uh, fucking, um, what name does she go by? In an Amazing Spider-Man Renew Your Vows, it's the story of Peter with Mary Jane and their daughter as like co-Spider-People. It's like a little oh. spider family. Uh-huh. And Mary Jane is Spinneret, and it's one of my favorite versions of Mary Jane. So bringing Kirsten Dunst in that way would be perfect. Don't give us Spider Pig. I can't believe I'm saying that. But just leave it for. Just leave it. Let it be into the Spider Verse. That would, I think, take it too far. I mean, I think they've announced that they're going to do a live action Silk. What if they drop a Silk on us super early? Oh, it makes sense. Silk is another Spider person. <laughs> um, um, anyway. Oh, I, don't I know. expect Tom Harding is going to show up. Tom Hardy. Oh, Venom. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the Tobey Maguire will be like, Venom, and they'll be like, don't deal with it, different. <laughs> <laughs> then, should we go science, or should we go Mar- the other Marvel? Let's do Marvel, just in okay. the thematic. Um, so, they announced a shit ton of new Marvel shows for Disney+. Plus. Now, Will, we are going to play a game here, because I know you're not a comic guy. <laughs> okay, all right. You're a big as nerd as me, but in, like, different formats. I am going to list these shows. Okay. You are going to tell me what you think they are. Okay. Some of them are pretty easy. Some of them I don't know. <laughs> you might. Okay. First one, X-Men 97. Let's see. All right. And so what am I supposed to be guessing? Just, just whatever, whatever you think this show is. Do you know what it is? Okay. I have two thoughts on this. Either, Either this is going to be... Related to a specific run that was done in 97. Or I cannot recall off the top of my head what New 52 means. I've heard you say I've got the number. Not at all related to Marvel or Spider-Man. So don't (laughs) worry. That was a specific era of DC public. Cool. Good. Okay. Um, Um, Yeah. You're mostly right. Oh, cool. The X-Men animated series ran from 1992 to 1997. They are making a continuation of the classic. You got episodes of it from Pizza Hut. Oh. X-Men animated series called X-Men 97. It is the greatest comic book theme song ever made. 
Um, oh yeah, I'm a fan of it. That said, I had the first. I had the first two tapes of that. <laughs> oh, I only had the first one. I had uh, Night of the Sentinels. I yeah, I only had the first one too. My best friend growing up had the I second one. A lot. I am the only one I know who's not super excited about this because. This is maybe what I'm most excited. Well, Moon Knight. But. Yeah. Uh, Batman the Animated Series was far superior. I watched this as an adult having not the same level of nostalgia. And I was like, wow, the voice actors were not great <laughs> in this. And the animation didn't hold up that well. Of which I believe they have yeah, back 11 yeah. of the original voice actors. Honestly, 20 years <laughs> okay. later, they're probably much better at it. That's true. Um, One would hope. Well, and just sometimes the recording quality wasn't great. Like it... We yeah. remember it with really rose-colored glasses, but it had all the failures of, like, an Mid-90s, 90s animation. Mid-90s, mid-90s animation. <laughs> yeah, which is why I'm, I think, a little more critical of it. That said, I didn't give a fuck about He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, and I fucking loved the, the Masters latest. of the Universe mm-hmm. revelations. So, cool. Bring it on. The Moon Knight. I know this has nothing to do with the answer, but the first thing that's coming to my mind is Aquatine Hunger Force. How that, dare you? Well, there's that entire episode about congratulations, you are the Moon Master. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, you can just have that be your answer if you want. Oh, yeah. uh, oh no, no, no. The actual answer. I feel like I've I feel like I've heard you talk about a character named Moon Knight at and this least is, once before. So we've mentioned it as one of the best, uh, one of the best runs of comics in the last like 20 years. So. Okay. Do you, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Moon Knight is basically Marvel's answer to Batman, okay. except he wears bright white and he has multiple person, uh, disassociative identity. In theory, mm. he has disassociative identity disorder. That's how it was originally yes. created to be. But since it's, it's a really fun. terrible representation of disassociative identity disorder, Naturally. well, yeah, it's yeah. never done well in media, yeah. let alone yeah. in the seventies. First appearing in Werewolf by, by Night. Night, which like is amazing. But um, you think they're gonna bring in? I hope so. I would love to see Jack Russell. Yeah. <laughs> in the seventies, Marvel had a book called Werewolf by Night, and the main star, the titular werewolf's name, was Jack Russell. Cool. I don't like cool. puns, and that's the most perfect paragraph ever created. I like, mean... Okay, um, but he has multiple personalities, and it's considered that it might be because his brain was touched by a god. Because he is the avatar of the Egyptian god Khonshu. So he is I don't recognize insane, that bright white Batman, who may or may not be the chosen avatar of a god. In recent years, okay. they've confirmed that Kanchu is real and chosen, yeah. but in some of those early appearances, he might have just been making that shit up. Now, is Kanchu based well, on an actual one or maybe just As far as this? I know, Kanchu is a real god, K-H-O-N-S-H-U. Okay. But, I mean, it, it's very in Marvel's line to use real pantheon gods. Yeah. Uh, but Must I not don't be important enough a one to huge... show up in Age of Mythology. You also have to remember, Egypt has like 150 gods. I mean, yeah. But the ones in Age of Mythology are the ones I know. I wanted to play that game so bad when I was a kid. They do have it. They do have it on Steam. I don't play the games I have. (laughs) Okay. Next one. She-Hulk. I'm curious. Have you ever heard of this character before? I mean, I feel like yes, but I could very easily be mixing. Like, I don't know how many different versions of Hulk there is. I know that there is at least one Oh, yes, that's 
that is a that is a Lady Hulk, but that's <laughs> that's She Hulk. Okay, yeah, yeah accurate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's about where my knowledge ends. Okay, so She Hulk. This is why I'm interested because if you know comics, you absolutely know She Hulk. She's a huge character in Marvel. Okay, but if you don't know comics. I think the only place she's ever really appeared is like maybe one episode of a cartoon and a, I think, unaired pilot of a uh, spinoff of the 70s Incredible Hulk show. It might have been a made-for-TV movie. It might have been an unaired pilot. Either way, it did not go anywhere. Uh, She-Hulk is Hulk's cousin, Jennifer Walters. She's a lawyer. Okay, okay. at, At its base, that's what it is. It tends to have a much more comedic tale. And she has generally control over her Hulk identity. She mostly just hangs out as the Hulk because when she's She-Hulk, she's a like seven foot tall, super hot green lady who still has for the most part all of her control, but is more outgoing. So she's like, why would I look at me? Why would I go back to Jen Walters? (laughs) Which honestly, yeah, I'm not saying you should do it this way, but you could tell a pretty interesting coming out story Mm, with mm -hmm. that. She's traditionally straight, but still. See, I knew that because I feel like I've seen a post on Tumblr that had a bunch of panels of, God, who would, I, I can't recall who she would have been with for that, but I feel a like. A couple of people. There's a really terrible story where she hooked up with Juggernaut and they had to spend years being like, that was a fake She-Hulk. That didn't actually happen. Stop talking about it. Mm. <laughs> well, she was his lawyer at the time. It was like the giant <laughs> violation of lawyerly <laughs> ethics. Okay. Um, Miss Marvel. I recognize the name. You're on Tumblr. That doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> uh, I think recognizing the names all I've, all I've especially got on this one. Okay. Miss Marvel was the original name of Carol Danvers, the current Captain Marvel. Okay. When she became Captain Marvel, they introduced a new character whose real name is Kamala Khan. And she is a Muslim Pakistani woman, the child of, like, immigrants. She, so she's, what, first generation? Yeah. Um, who becomes the superhero Miss Marvel, because she's a giant superhero mm. fangirl. Okay. And she has often been described as uh, kind of this century's Peter Parker, because she comes oh, from a okay. very slice of life, uh, but she is also Muslim, I don't want to say first and foremost, but it is one of the dominant factors of who she is. But it's Makes done sense. very respectfully and honestly, not mm. just shittily, which is how it's usually done. She also fucking infuriates neckbeards That's because she is a me. prominent Pakistani Muslim woman who is quickly becoming one of the like premier superheroes in Marvel staple. Okay. I, she's so good. I mean, I'm all I'm 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 liking what I'm hearing. Her superpower that they'll be doing slightly different in this is that she can do what she's dubbed embiggening, where she can like uh-huh. make her fist grow giant, or if she needs to chase something down, she can like grow her legs so they're like twenty feet tall. Okay, it is body horror to the extreme, but in a way that's done really cute. Okay, mm-hmm. does that does that sound yeah, accurate? No, to that's you? true. Um, yep. It sounds like they're changing it for the show to make it more like a Green Lantern thing. This makes a lot of sense. It's a bummer, but I agree with it. Uh, Also, just so that you haven't introduced Reed Richards yet. You don't want to introduce Reed Richards looking like... The shittier version of Miss Marvel. Yes. Because he's got less exciting versions of her powers. He's stretchy. Mm. 
<laughs> um, okay. Uh, what if season two? I assume that's not a huge one for you, but uh, did this where they officially announced season two, or did we already know this? A few of these we already knew. Um, I think we might have already if known. not officially known, we knew. Yeah, I mean, I'm not positive on that one. The what ifs are. I mean, it's kind of. It's a. It's effectively a bunch of shorts. Yeah, yeah it's a what if story. What if okay. Spider-Man was Thor? What if I think that's a real one, but I'm not sure. Uh, um, not not in the series. I well, mean, yeah, I'm. Uh, what if Doctor Strange was the sorcerer? What if not? What if Tony Stark was the Sorcerer Supreme? Is one of my favorite what if stories of all time. It's amazing. I feel like I feel like I know most about what if from seeing ads on Twitter in passing. Honestly, if you've seen the ad, you understand everything you need to know for what if. Yeah, yeah no, it's, yeah. Big I mean, bald guy watches tell stories. <laughs> I think the only what if, I do have a what if somewhere. I think I have the, uh, what if the Punisher had been successful in killing Peter Parker the first time they encountered each other. Oh, I haven't read that one. Uh, there's a new series coming out of what if that seems to be what if Miles Morales, and each issue seems to be like, what if Miles Morales was the next Wolverine? What if Miles Morales <laughs> was the next Cap? Um, okay. Huh. I think it's an interesting idea. That's kind of fun. I mean, it's only going to, you're going to get 10 issues out of that max, but like, it's kind of a fun little making sure we have something published called what if right now, and mm -hmm. let's use our most popular new character. <laughs> makes, fun. makes good Miles, business sense. Miles is fucking. And yeah, it's a fun wonder. time. Um. Okay. This one, there's no way you know this one. Echo. Yeah. Nope. Not the I'm dolphin. Not. <laughs> Echo joins the Avengers. <laughs> Uh, which she did in a very different way. Echo uh, is the name of Maya by the name of Maya Lopez, who is a I want to say Native American, but I think Southern Native American uh, deaf woman who becomes a superhero. Okay, it's pretty cool. I mean, she's originally, unfortunately, thanks to sexism, more often than not, Echo has been used as a romantic interest for another character. Yeah. But she's still managed to be a pretty capable character in her own right. Okay. She first appeared as a romantic interest to Daredevil because that man just desperately wants to sleep <laughs> with everyone he should not sleep with. She's trying to kill him at the same time. I should say that. Oh, it's fun. not just like she later hooks up with Hawkeye because he does the same thing. And then she uh, sleeps with Moon Knight, who that's the worst idea of the three of them. <laughs> Although the pairing was kind of fun. Hopefully she will be treated better here. She will probably not be sleeping with Hawkeye in this one because the MCU Hawkeye is married. But I am excited for one, a deaf hero getting more representation. I heard mm. Eternals had one, but still. And um, hopefully they actually do treat her as Native American because we don't get many of those. Um, it, I, I'm just doing a really quick search. I don't know if they've ever uh, confirmed a tribe for her in the comics. Okay. Which if they do make her noticeably native, they need to confirm a tribe. Yes. Mm. I should say that came out in like 2000. She's the host of the Phoenix Force right now, which is a wild upgrade for Echo. <laughs> um, uh, Spider-Man freshman year. I feel like this is pretty straightforward. I mean, whichever Spider-Man this is goes to college, have fun. Probably Not. high school, but it is Spider-Man freshman year. I heard one, it's an animated show. I heard one rumor that it was the MCU Peter from before Civil War, but I don't mm. know if that's going to be true because he didn't get his costume until... MCU's Peter doesn't work very well, if we're being honest. I'm wondering if post whatever 
crazy multiverse shenanigans happen in both No Way Home and Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, Mm -hmm. if this is Marvel's way of creating their own Spider-Man that they can use post-Sony. There's weird ownership rights when it comes to Spider-Man. Naturally. Um, yeah, that could be interesting. All we really know is Spider-Man, and he's a freshman. Okay. And it seems to be the 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 animation looks uh, kind of sixties. Yeah, the the style mm-hmm. looks all like the older comics. Okay. Give it a bit of a Steve Dick. That could be really cool, mm-hmm. but we yeah. just don't know enough to really have an opinion yet. I am Groot. Seems pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it does show Baby Groot, so we just seem to be getting a cartoon of Baby Groot because we all shat ourselves when we watch Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I kind of don't care unless he's the monarch of Planet X. Yeah. Groot is supposed to be a big tree king of Planet X. Ironheart. I feel like I recognize that name. Thanks you to You're also on Tumblr. Other... <laughs> well, I mean, that's pro- it'd probably be more... Be more because of all your other podcasts. Hey! Um, go listen to those people. <laughs> um, past feeling like I recognize the name. I've got nothing. Uh, Ironheart is a young woman named Riri Williams. Riri! Riri's great. A young black woman. That should also be said. So she also pissed off a whole lot of neckbeards who replicated an Iron Man armor in her garage. Holy shit. Okay. <laughs> I'm all for this. That's really, I like yeah, that more, of... but that's the basics of it. Okay. The original version had a AI based off Tony Stark in the same way that he had, like, Jarvis. Oh, okay. Uh, but I doubt we're getting that because this is taking place in the MCU, and they don't want to pay Robert Downey Jr. Uh, however many millions of dollars. For just a voice, they probably wouldn't have to pay him as much. I just don't see it happening, because then people will be like, when are you going to come back for real? Fucking never, man. Well, I mean, I mean, that's always been the popular way to bring him back without having to bring him back anyway. It's just turning him into the new Jarvis. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't be unhappy. I don't see it happening. Agatha, House of Harkness. That's a good name. It's a good yeah, name. Yeah, no, that's a solid name. This is another one where I feel like... Wait, no, wait, no, no, no. I, this, um... Something, something, Scar- something, something, Scarlet Witch. Yay! Okay, cool. I retained something from one of your episodes. Something, the- something, Scarlet, Scarlet Witch. Witch was the one that you messaged me about being like, holy shit. Um, uh, holy shit. Uh, Agatha in the comics is one of the trainers of, the, of Scarlet Witch. In the TV show, she's like the big villain. Spoiler of a show that came out a year ago. Uh, of well, Wanda, sort of WandaVision. Did you watch it yet? No, I'm watching it next okay. week. But the, uh, she is a She's a villain. Villain. She's a villain. So is Wanda. Come on, man. That's not a giveaway. Yeah. That's <laughs> every story Wanda has ever been in. Uh, but she was far and away the most popular part of it. So we are getting a House of Harkness. Yo, Catherine Hahn as Agatha Harkness oh, she kills is it, yeah. fucking amazing. Uh, I will say, I will say, having... Harkness be the family name is does drive me up a wall since I don't have the comic knowledge base because that always makes me think of Jack Harkness from Doctor Who. So there's yeah. that always, that's very weird happy cro- since 2005. That's funny. Um, yeah, so people keep being like, oh, is it going to be like House of M, House of Harkness? No. Agatha's got a huge, wild fucking backstory with a family that includes seven insane... 
magically mutated monsters that form a super team together. We Fun. don't need more than that. <laughs> okay, there's two more. We're going to yep. go through them pretty quick because this is taking forever and I apologize. <laughs> uh, Marvel Zombies. <laughs> huh. like that one I believe in you. You can figure what out this one is supposed to be. I mean, for me, the bigger question is, okay, wait, who is becoming the zombies in this case? All of them. Oh. The oh. story of Marvel Zombies, originally written by Robert Kirkman, who also did The Walking Dead and Invincible, is the story of a zombie plague being unleashed on the Marvel Universe and the slow destruction of the Marvel U over the course of the zombie plague. It includes the zombies taking down Galactus and eating him. Oh. I don't like it. At all. I fucking hate Marvel Zombies. The only part one I've ever read that I enjoyed, and I've read most of them, is Army Marvel Zombies versus Army of Darkness. And that's just because anything with Ash I'm in for. That said, it's extremely popular. Or was ten years ago. So I don't blame them for giving it a shot. It's going to be up somebody's alley. I, yeah, I, I remember when Marvel zombies got big and I was just kind of like, meh, it's more zombie properties. And I never actually read it. I've like flipped through it. Like I remember seeing it in Hastings and like, oh, cool. And just sort of like flipping through it real quick. The only real uh, crossover I have is when, um, during the latest secret wars, Mm -hmm. the old man Logan standalone that was happening during that he's one of the only heroes that's actually crossing into the different parts of battle world. Oh, okay. And he ends up in the Marvel zombies part. Makes sense. See, I thought you were going to say Deadpool. Oh no. Who is the Deadpool from Marvel zombie who only his head remains. And he's got one of those little like oh. whirly helicopter hats, except it actually <laughs> flies him around. Um, and he is the best part of a really terrible miniseries called the Deadpool core, which is different Deadpool's, across the multiverse teaming up. It sucked. <laughs> if I remember right, yeah, I think Old Man Logan ends up fighting side by side with She-Hulk for a while cool. in that portion of Battleworld. I don't remember for sure. That was, it was fun, but whatever. All right, last one. Secret Invasion. <sighs> I've heard you guys reference it. It is a it. secret, and it is an invasion. <laughs> um, yeah. In Captain Marvel, we are introduced to the Scrolls. Okay. The green shape-shifting aliens. Okay, okay. Uh, the, the At least in the comics, the scrolls are capable of forming what is known as a, a super scroll, which the original super scroll is a scroll with the powers of all of the Fantastic Four. It is later upgraded that it's just, you can make scrolls, super scrolls that are like hodgepodges of different villains. Okay. Or not villains, but different super-powered characters. Okay. So there was one that was like, Ghost Rider, Wolverine, and Colossus, which is insanely overpowered, by the by. Uh, You can have, like, Doctor Strange and Iron Man and Hulk, which would just be dumb. But (laughs) (laughs) Secret Invasion, parts of me really like it and parts of me really can't stand it uh, because some of the stuff was really cool. Lionel Francis Yu was doing some of the best art of his career, but the Super Scroll concept was just over the top, and it became... Marvel it, not it, the thing. Yeah. Of like, who can you trust is literally the tagline. Mm. Uh, Exciting part of this. This is Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury headlining a TV show where he goes and fights an undercover Mm. secret invasion. And he's grown an awesome beard. Yes. (laughs) 
That's like, my almost the only thing we've seen from it, too. Literally, the intro they give us for this is like 10 seconds, and it's Samuel Jackson with a beard and no eye patch, slightly turning his head. And I have seen so many fucking screen rant articles of like, what does what can we learn from this? I'm like, fucking nothing. <laughs> it's two seconds of Samuel Jackson turning his head. Nothing. Nothing. Sweet beard, man. All right. <laughs> I'm excited, but like I already was. Uh, okay, I guess last bit of news. Sorry, that took so long, but I wanted to know what you thought. <laughs> Uh, on the science side of things, uh, for a long time, there has been a slight mystery about, uh, the Atacama desert in Chile. There's a 75 kilometer strip that has these odd green, black, twisted bits of glass just strewn across the landscape. And you're like, Hey, what the fuck landscape? Uh, so analysis of the glass has now turned out that there is bits of space dust in it that couldn't occur as deep in the glass as it occurs without the glass having been formed from a comet exploding overhead. Is it a comet or is it like a meteor? It's a comet. Like, that's super cool. Um, like that. Comets usually don't end up getting that close because they heat up too quickly and blow up in the high atmosphere because they're composed mostly of ice. So this was a big ass comet that got close <laughs> enough to the earth before it exploded that it exploded to temperatures between 2000 and 6000 Celsius and scorched the earth below it for 75 kilometers. So fucking That's cool. Fun. That's fun. I knew you told me about bits of this, but you didn't read the whole thing. No <laughs> fuck this middle. Oh my God. So, uh, it, all signs don't point to it being big enough or having gotten close enough to actually uh, have an impact. There are actually only 190 known impact craters on Earth. Yeah, a lot of shit burns up in our mm -hmm. atmosphere. And even then, the chances of something hitting us, while there's news articles about it every other day, is kind of astronomically small. Yeah, I mean... But still... Jupiter keeps us pretty... Pretty... <laughs> pretty dank safe in this... In this uh, solar system. Oh, Jupiter, thank you so much. It's still hard to tell for certain, but it's arguable with what we do know about it that the blast might have been comparable or higher than the Tunguska blast. Oh, fuck. But it's out in the middle of a desert, so it's not like it knocked down like a shit ton of trees and shit. Like, No, it just made glass. Cool. Yeah. Do we know when this would have happened? About 12,000 years ago. Fuck yeah. Okay. And that's what we got for science. Fuck yeah. All right. From space to space. We're going to take a quick <laughs> break. And when we come back, we'll talk about Dune. How do we want to start this bit? We're uh, going to talk about Dune 2021, <laughs> but... <laughs> uh, yeah, we were originally going to do uh, Dune 1984 first, and then this. But honestly, thanks to the time issues we were talking about having... It left HBO Max the day we recorded this, so we just did not have time. time. To, yeah. So, uh, Dune 2021. Tyler, I'm going to ask you first, Where? what is your relationship to Dune? We'll talk what? about yours in a sec, but that's a whole story. <laughs> uh, my relationship to Dune was, it was on my to-read list for a decade and a half, 
and them announcing that they were going to finally make this version of it meant that I had to finally get off my ass and read it, of which I have read it two and a half times in the past year alone. <laughs> um, I have uh, watched the Lynch version probably five times in the last year alone. Had you seen it before? The, I have watched the Lynch version before. Okay. Um, in college, like, once, and I was, I believe, pretty drunk at the time, but... We will not get much into the Lynch version today because we're doing it next time. But as Will can attest, as my Dune buddy, it comes up a lot with me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I mean, within arm's reach, I have like a very nice version of the Dune, yeah, of the Lynch one right now. So, uh, that I've managed to pick up this year. Uh, the Arrow released a 4K cut. So got my hands on that because I love it. I No, I like finally getting around to reading Dune. I absolutely fell in love with it. And it has been a topic of constant conversation between me and some of my co-workers lately. So. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, I'll go first if you're cool with it. Yeah. And we'll talk. Because yours is the most recent Dune experience. Yeah. Um, I start. I first watched the David Lynch Dune when I was probably about 13 over at my friend, at, uh, at my brother-in-law's house. Um, it is... It was not a transformative experience like fucking Batman Forever was for me, but it was a movie that I was like, this is fucking awesome. It's cheesy, but it's awesome. And when people were like, no, it's bad. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> and I tried to read Dune several times over the years and just never fucking got through it. It's. I will add, I did try reading it for the first time as I believe like an eight or nine year old. See, I think I was like 14 and I still wasn't quite ready for it. I got just, it's a, it's a weird book. It's easy to get distracted on. Yeah, I got um, about nine books into Xanth, and I was asking Dad for other recommendations. And so he's like, here's Dune, son. Yeah, and I got like a chapter into it, and I'm like, I'm good on this <laughs> right now. <laughs> I'm good on that, dog. Uh, but when I was in the Montana Conservation Corps for two seasons, uh, I read all five Dune books, which one means my copy of Dune eternally has sand in it because I was in the middle. I was in a place that had had a forest fire the year before. So like there's fucking sand and soot everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I open up Dune and sand falls out and it just brings me to a happy place. <laughs> uh, but also because I was reading these books 10 miles from the nearest road, 50 miles from the nearest town with only six other people around me for up to three weeks at a time. I still feel like I probably owe those people an apology. Because <laughs> I read Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol and Dune. Ooh. <laughs> I was a fucking weirdo for a while there. Oof. And I read four of the five books on those. And then finished the last mm. one uh, shortly afterwards. Okay. Um, was it five or six that Frank did? Six. I think you're right. Because it's, hold on, I can do this. Dune, Dune Messiah, Children of Dune, which is not very good, but very important. Uh, uh, God, God Emperor. Emperor of Dune, which is one of the most amazing but insane things I've ever read. <laughs> Sisterhood of Dune and then Chapter House Dune, I yep. think. But I could have those two backwards. Nope, Chapter House is last. Okay. Yep, yep. And then there are two more written by his son based off of notes that he said he found of his father's. And then there's about 30 more that him and Kevin J. Anderson have written together because... Why the fuck not? We can ignore those. I actually kind of want to read some of them. Um, I've heard some 
Mm. There's supposed I've heard to be that, fun sci-fi, but not great Dune. Yeah, I was about to say, I've heard that Brian doesn't understand the themes as well. Okay, to be fair, neither did Frank by uh, fucking <laughs> Chapter House. You know how I know? Because I've read it. <laughs> and it was fun, but it wasn't great Dune. You should have ended with God Emperor, because you can't get weirder than that. <laughs> William. Let's see. So I mean, I, the answer is me, but... Um, well, I mean, the earliest bit of my relationship with Dune comes down to having seen an advertisement for the Dune game mm. uh, in front of Red Alert 2. And... I fucking forgot about that. I saw that, too. <laughs> Michael Dorn, a.k.a. Worf, is in one of those games, like, in cutscenes and stuff. God, help. <laughs> those those cutscenes. Oh, my God. So, I mean, I think I probably watched... I've probably watched that particular ad a couple times because I wanted to, like, hey, okay, what is... What the heck is this? But, you know, was playing the game at a point where, cool, copies of this don't exist anymore. So I never got to play it, but I was fascinated but never able to follow through. And then skip forward a the good handful year? of years. <laughs> and, yeah, until, yeah, sometime last year. And, uh, I mean, yeah. It's Zach's fault. Uh, it was after the first trailer for this movie came mm -hmm. out. And you and I were going to do a Dune podcast together called Pod Emperors of Dune. Yeah, we and the idea was a You're welcome for the name. It's so good. <laughs> uh, and the idea was it was going to be a chapter by chapter thing. So it was about 10 pages at a time. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, partially thanks to COVID, it just never really came together right we recorded i think about eight episodes yeah at least. less than 10 yeah yeah they, he had chapter nine's the last one i had he had just for. gotten to dune uh but like there was already a pod emperor of dune and we just didn't notice until we were 10 episodes in nine episodes in we're like fuck oh god editing all of those is gonna be a nightmare we had none of them edited uh it was just proving really stressful because it turns out i'm not smart enough to analyze dune chapter by chapter it's a little tough. There's, there's a good, there's a good amount of stuff. It in was there. really fun. Every time I think about it, I wish that we could do it, and I would still love to go back to this someday. But like the amount of work it was going to take to get these into usable episodes was just proving not, yeah, worth yeah. it. Just, um, just a little too, just a little too much drag and friction to, mm -hmm. to take off with it. The, the two things that really did stick out, at least for me, was, well, three things, but we'll have you tell one of them, is one, we dubbed still suits, the things they wear in the uh, desert, the sweat soup suits, and we wanted to make onesies of those to sell, <laughs> which is just lovely, and two, our unending hatred of Dr. Yue. Oh, Dr. Yue. He is the biggest, not much in this movie. But he is the biggest Marijuana. bitch. This is, this is maybe a good time to to throw in a little interjection and warning. Uh, we do not have the time to explain everything that happens in the book, but we are or even un this movie exactly. Yeah. So we are going to talk about it as though you, the audience, has an understanding of what happens in the book. Maybe we'll explain some things here and there, but I'm not going to like. When I compare something to the book, I'm not going to take the time to completely explain it through either. Yeah, I think I will be more discussing this as an adaptation as opposed to, like, 
uh, uh, talking you through the movie like we do mm-hmm. in some episodes. Yue in the book is the biggest whiny bitch. And he keeps talking about his Wana, which is the na- the terrible name of his dead wife. My roommate and I are still... Wow, my Wana! That it comes up at least once a week. He's awful. Uh, but I think my favorite thing is I had you watch the first trailer, knowing having not even read any of Dune, and I asked <laughs> you to describe it? Emo kid goes to the beach and has a bad time. Okay. None of that is inaccurate. <laughs> uh. I guess beach implies ocean, but otherwise. Okay. He used to be at an ocean. Emo kid leaves the beach and has a bad time. <laughs> um, Why surfers should never leave California. <laughs> I be, I, at work, our, our shorthand version of it has been uh, rich kid moves to a place that bums him out, does drugs, and becomes space Jesus. Accurate as well. Uh, yeah, you have to mention the space drugs. Um, I mean, honestly, the best description that ever existed is basically what Frank Herbert actually did was, was assigned a job about writing a news article about reclaiming sand dunes in Oregon, never bothered to write the article and instead wrote a 700 page science fiction epic (laughs) that made people think he was trying to start the next version of Scientology. (laughs) I will say Dune makes no sense. It does make more sense than Scientology. Yes. Yeah. We're going to talk about the latest Denny Villeneuve 2021 Dune, 1921 Dune, Jesus Christ. I thought we'd stretch this out a little bit. days before it was a talkie. <laughs> this is a show about things we like. There's certainly a number of things to blow about this movie. I did structure out some questions, though, with the first one being, is there anything you actually just didn't like? Lady Jessica was done fucking dirty in this movie. Yeah. That's weird. I've heard from a number of people that she was the standout for them. Lady Jessica is a fucking queen, and she is one of the best parts of the book. Like, full stop. I love She cries in almost every scene in this movie. Yeah. In times that she did not need to be crying. Yeah, she... She had a... a, It was a weird energy that they... I get it. She's having a bad day. Well, and a thing, I don't know, a thing, like, a thing, every time I watched it, I tried to pay a lot of attention to, especially of, especially for the House of Trades characters, to the body language, because we get, thanks to Paul and Jessica, a lot of observation about subtleties of body language in the books. And the, the, the way, like, I don't know, there's, she carries herself in such a weird way in multiple scenes, like... I don't know, she, like, she's almost got, like, a hunched-over kind of thing. That she's much t- more submissive. Yeah, and I I could see the book character doing that to play a part. I don't feel it's accurate to the... To the... The core? The core of the character, yeah. I think I can explain the one spot I think that it really stuck at me. And then, please defend if you mm-hmm. want to defend, because I, I definitely see why she would appeal to people at the same time. Mm. Um, it just didn't fit my very specific, but the scene, and this is the scene, they skipped a lot of the great lines in this movie, mm-hmm. but the one scene that I felt that they really fumbled was where she picks the shot up mapes, the housekeeper, yeah, who is super unimportant in this version, 
but okay. She's a character you can kind of afford to miss. But the scene where she picks the shot up mapes was not done correctly. There is so much. It is my one of my favorite scenes in the book, which is weird because it's a very small little thing. But there is so much interaction happening between the two of them setting up world building in a way I've never seen. And having Mm -hmm. them not be alone changes a lot of that because it changes what they can say. It also changes what risks Jessica was taking in that scene having a guard there. In the movie, she's never in any real danger. In the uh, in the book, she almost gets stabbed to death like three times, entirely depending on how she phrases a sentence. Though, I would argue, I don't feel she... Like, like I guess, while well, the danger exists in the book, I mean, even in the The danger book, doesn't exist in the book, because like, Jessica can take her any it, side. Yeah, I was going to say, she's... She's absolutely a proficient But it absolutely sets the scale of who Jessica is in a way that it does not in the movie. Yeah, and in my opinion. Now, I'm going to agree with you up to a point. I actually re-listened to this exact chapter this morning. Okay. Mm. I think, so I, to me, with the, her portrayal in this movie, I think Will was on to something when you said you can see the book character playing this part. And I think it's the weird difference that we have that you actually get when you read like the Dresden files. Mm -hmm. We get all of Dresden's inner thoughts. And so we have an idea of how he carries himself. But if you think about what he's actually being physically described as doing in those scenes, it's usually just hunched over in a corner kind of mumbling to himself. Which is why everyone thinks he's fucking insane. Okay. I can see what you are saying there. Um, yeah, okay, yeah, no, I think that... I, I will have one last critique of that scene. They pull a fucking... Bre- they they pull a fucking Chris knife from its sheath, and they put it back without blooding it. It's never established as a thing in the movie universe. I don't I- care how fucking <laughs> dare you. The Chris knife, made from the knife of a sandworm. One of the things, it's literally in this book, because this book is just pure playing at 11. I also don't think the book is consistent with it. Oh, I don't care. I'm pretty sure there's a number of scenes about two-thirds of the way into the book where Fremen are pulling their Chris knives just in celebration of things. No, you're 100% correct, and I'm just imagining them, like, poking themselves. But the idea is if you do not put blood on a Chris knife, it's not just, like, a dishonor. Like, if you pull your knife, you better be ready for fucking business. The knife might literally fall apart. Is that established in later It is. Books? Barely mentioned, but they do have a thing of like. Okay, because it might be in one of the apocrypha things too. Okay, because like, I did. I've got so many apocrypha things. Well, yeah, and I, I definitely did like because we were trying to record that podcast. I actually have yet to go back and read through. Also, all I'll be honest. Stuff it's been back. a while since I read it. I could be a. I could have just been very high. <laughs> yeah, because like I mean, now that both of you are giving me confused looks, I am very uncertain about this. Well, he, but the point is, you don't pull a Chris knife. Yeah. I realize the Dune's super over the top, and that I fall for it one hundred percent. But goddamn, I do. Well, I got critiques. Now I missed I mean, that being established as a thing, but because it's never established, it didn't bug me. If that makes sense. Fair enough. Yeah, like yeah, I think like I feel that for adapting a book to film. I feel it's an acceptable, absolutely an acceptable loss. Maybe as I read more books and more of the see more background stuff, that opinion might change. Because I, I mean, I, I kind of want to see 
the stuff that's leading Chris to Chris Knives your... do get significantly less important as it goes along. Like I should admit uh, that. Okay. Um but I don't I just fucking love the Fremens so much. <laughs> I love them so much, guys. Will was yeah. there anything you specifically didn't like? Because we sort of stood on Jessica for a bit and we yeah. all we all we all talked about her a bit. I'm sorry, I'm trying yeah. not it's to okay. overwhelm the podcast <laughs> and I absolutely am. Um I don't know. Like I've been sh- I've I've actually been thinking about that and I'm something I've been noticing about how I am as a fan is I tend to be forgiving of things for you know to to appreciate the adaption for what it is. But I do like I understand to make a book into a movie you have to do a lot of changes for dialogue and who says what and Understanding that, I do feel that it is nonetheless a loss in in this adaption because there's, I mean, a thing that I'm I always I come back to a lot when thinking about Dune is how much subtlety there is in uh, how a lot of the characters speak and act in in the book and words tend to be very specifically chosen. Mm, yeah, I mean, I like I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it goes to, like, the lengths that Tolkien does, because that man was insane when it comes to these kinds of things. But, and, you know, also fucking studied words and that <laughs> stuff as a, for a living. But you, it, like, it still feels like a lot of the a lot of the stuff, you know, is very carefully done, and it, I do notice that the depth of some characters, like, I did miss the depth of some characters. I felt that, you know, like, the changes that they, you know, of course, had to make for Dr. Yue, I feel are in many ways a disservice to the story as a whole. Because it, I, I kind of feel like in the book, like, the conflict that he has inside is both makes me like him more because he's more believable. and also makes me hate him that much more because of how much of, kind of, he kind of, he kind of gives you the hatred that he has for himself. So that you can have that on top of whatever hatred you might already have for the guy. I did think it was interesting in the book. They tell you on page like 10 that, that he's UA the is the uh, traitor and he will kill them all. Yeah. And they hit it until the last possible second in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, yeah, so I, I do, I do feel that I would have like, I feel like it's, I guess more than anything, it's a missed opportunity. Maybe it would. Maybe it just wouldn't be an option for budgetary reasons. But I would like to think that they could have found a way to keep that in there. All the all the little bits and pieces that go with Doctor Ua to make us as the audience feel that like there's a lot of emotion that we as the audience, even knowing exactly what's going to happen, can still get out of that. I know losing the Mentats bothered you a little bit too, but yeah. Well, they never explain them. Yeah, they're no, there, I, and Peter never gets a fucking name even, and Peter's fucking creepy. Yeah. Mm. Um. I when I went to go see this in the theater the first time, I went with my mom. Mm-hmm. She has not read the books at all. Like this, this, going to that movie was her first experience with Dune, and I was pleasantly surprised to hear that she doesn't. She didn't need to have any of that background, like much really background to be able to enjoy the movie. But I did think that, okay, like, you know, if you don't know 
what a Mentat is, because they don't even say the name once, the title once in the movie, then, I don't know, like, the idea of, here is a dude that snorts, that snorts cocaine, and then is a supercomputer, and that's just how they are. That's a yeah. fascinating idea. They did a good job of portraying how they're a supercomputer, even in the very minimal stuff, but yeah. we never Something got Something would have been nice. Yes, also, they leave it out, and this does kind of bother me because it was an interesting part of how Paul is being built up to be a superhuman by everyone. Paul is supposed to be at least a partial Mentat. He's yes. supposed to have Mentat training. Mm-hmm. And they never fucking bother. And I'm like, that's so cool, though! I'll agree. My didn't like is that they didn't explain the Mentats. It's a big one. I get why they were like, we don't have fucking time for this. We're going covering a third of the book, and it's already a two-and-a-half-hour movie. But I don't know. It's... It weakened the universe a little bit. Yeah, I think really, probably the biggest critique I have of of the film is that, like, yeah, you can you can lose those small details, but I suppose kind of like with adapting Lord of the Rings to to the screen, you by sacrificing those little details, it does make all of it smaller. My other, I have one other didn't like though. And it's weird though because it's conflicted because one of everything we've said so far. But like one of my favorite changes in the Villeneuve versus the Lynch Uh is dropping the internal dialogue and letting the actors act. One of my biggest didn't likes for this versus the book is dropping the internal dialogue. The internal dialogue is one hundred percent why I didn't think you could adapt Dune properly to a film. Or TV medium. See, and that was a lot of why I was watching body language, because when you if you're if you're not gonna have the internal dialogue, then okay, every single one of those actors that has internal dialogue needs to bring their A game for body language. Because you can do so much with that. I mean, the the way they kind of kept doing like the little the little hand signals. And made that oh, that was, so dumb. Like that was way, really cool. That yeah. wasn't in the book, was it? The, no, it, hand no, signals no, are way in the book. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they, um, they, yeah, they do. I don't think it's like very verbosely described in the book, but it no. is referenced multiple times. No, you're right. They, they do. They do. Yeah, I think. Yeah, they like they they even have like a something a camp, type, I think. Yeah, mm, yeah, because yeah, it's a battle camp. Oh yeah, it was uh, just battle language. I think. Pro- yeah, just, that sounds about right. I will say, because it kind of comes close. The way they do the visions in this one are extremely well done. That, super cool. That scene where Paul is just tripping nuts in the tent mm-hmm. is one of the best scenes in the movie, and that is I, not even my favorite scene of the book. I was like, waiting for that scene because I knew that scene was either going to be, I hate this and this movie no longer works, or, okay, yes. You gotta kind of make or break it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think the thing I miss most from the internal dialogues is that those are the parts of the book that I feel are most condemning of saviors. That's true. Because without that, it is a white savior story. Whereas the books are, yes, it's a savior story, but it's telling you why saviors are a really fucking bad thing. Yeah, Villain View talks about how he's trying to do a condemnation, but I also understand the people who are like, didn't really work. No, mm-hmm. but like, um, by the way, like the Atreides aren't good guys. They're sympathetic, but they're villains. 
as much as everyone else is. There's yeah, there's not really heroes in this one. I super the Bene Gesserit are fucking horrendous. Oh no, the Bene Gesserit are terrible. We yeah, Um, ultimate colonists. We had a lot to say about them when we were. I do think it's so fucking fascinating the idea that they'll travel and like they'll they'll set up legends on a planet because someday thousands of years in the future one Bene Gesserit might need help getting to a spaceport faster or something like mm-hmm. that like yeah. so she can use those and manipulate it it's so fascinating but yeah it's so horrifying mm-hmm. um i super fall for the and i admit this i have to remind myself that for the like atreides as a noble family and I do have sympathy for them, I and mean, you're supposed to. You know, yeah, I say I, they're definitely sympathetic. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I kind of feel of the kind of people that the system that they live in produces, they're probably about the best results you can get. Yeah, Duke Leto didn't want to fucking fight this fight, but he gets put in it whether he likes it or not. Uh, Duncan Idaho is described in one of the later books as like the only true good person in the universe. And even he's kind of a dick, mm-hmm. uh, homophobic too, but I blame that more on the, uh, era that the book was written. than I actually blame Duncan Idaho. We can just ignore that scene from God Emperor. And there is a thing that I find super interesting about the idea that Paul is desperately, desperately trying to one step off the path. So he doesn't lead a galactic jihad and two, be like, all right, if I have to do this, how do I save the most amount of people possible? Yeah. How do I save the species? How do I do that with the minimal bloodshed? Yeah. And and the terrible choices he's forced to make because of that. But also, that does not negate the fact that he does some fucked up shit. Yeah, I I did like that in the in the the visions in the tent scene that they managed to capture that he that he's not a fan of this idea of no. like, and I'm glad that they established that because I felt for the second half of the book that that was a very, um, a very important internal conflict for, for the character. And the fact that they've laid, I'm really hoping that they'll make good use of having laid that groundwork out now in this film for the next one, because I, I would, I would really like to see them do something fun with that internal conflict and find some really good ways to show that to us. Can I mention something before we dive into your next question? Mm-hmm. Just think of this. I do think it's interesting that they heavily changed the Duke, the Duke Leto mm. in one specific mm. point. Also Oscar Isaac knocks it out of the goddamn, not surprising yeah. it's Oscar Isaac, but he knocks it out of the goddamn park and he looks very good in a gray beard. One mm. million percent. That man is a sexy man, but the point of this being, um, I think it's interesting that they kind of changed him that in this version, he's not really kind of raising Paul to be a superhuman because in the books he is in his own way. Yeah. He's not trying to make the fucking Quizak Hadarak, but he is, you know, he's trying to produce a good Duke. He's trying to produce the best Duke. Yeah. He's Mm. trying to make a Duke who has all of his political acumen, Bene Gesserit training, Mentat training, training from the two greatest warriors probably in 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 Dune. Described as Dun- living le- legends in their own time. Duncan Idaho and fucking um, uh, Gurney Gufer, Oh, yeah. Gufer, uh, Gurney Halleck. And then Thufar Hawat, the greatest Mentat in the space. Like, it's over the top how OP he's making Paul. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, by the way, turns out I'm also the fucking space messiah. <laughs> 
But his line of like, even if you walk away from all this, you'll still be everything I need you to be, my son, is a thousand percent the opposite of that. Oh, it's so well delivered, though. Oh, no, it's, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, like the yeah, choice. Yeah. It's just, yeah, yeah, distractingly different. Like, I, I, I definitely I, went, oh, boy. Yeah, I did, like, I don't think I've really spent a lot of time processing that particular scene because I feel like in the over like in in the overall movie delivery it's pretty small see so it's like why it, are you like over it, it, i mean it was a well done scene but like it's just whatever kind of a hokey line but nope it is a significant change mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i i feel like i'm gonna have to watch the movie a third time to really be able to like okay no oh, i'm going to sit three. and i'm gonna watch at, this movie a oh, frustrating amount of times all right there anything that not that you didn't like, but just sort of one step up. Like, you just sort of missed it. Like, I wish that this from the book would have been in here, but it doesn't piss me off that it's not. Just, I kind of wish it would have been. Uh, kind of the Mentat thing. Um... Like, I think, for, like, for me, like, I'd like um, Roland's portrayal of Gurney Halleck, but we need a Bard. Yeah, we never got I the do, Bard um, side. I did miss that. It doesn't, like, I miss it. It doesn't matter that, like, because I like his portrayal still. It still fits, I feel like, but... I am glad that they at least had a throwaway line to that in mm-hmm. the training room. His bassinet's already on the way or something like well, that. Well, like, it, like the thing that sets the training fight off is like, hey, I don't want to fight. Sing me a song instead. You know, so, like... You're right, that's true. Yeah, I, and yeah, no, I, I did miss that. I think it... It's why Gurney's one of my favorite characters. Yeah, Gurney's a fascinating character because he's. I I feel like I feel like a lot of the other characters are kind of. I have my lane. I am super specialized in this lane, and then we've got Gurney Halleck, who's okay. I can sword good and I can <laughs> sing good. Also, I'd here's Bible strategy. Good. <laughs> here's Bible quotes, and and I have infinite of those except one time, and it gets mentioned. Um, I also missed, with the reduced importance of Mentats, it makes sense, but uh, one of my favorite scenes in the book is actually, oh, also there's no fade in this first part, so this scene doubly couldn't happen, but I miss the scene where the Baron is having almost an argument with Piter in front of Fade in order to show Fade both the capabilities and the... um, Weaknesses? Limitations of Mentats. Mm. Well, and just you're getting the whole plan laid out, and you're just like watching as you go along because you only you don't you get the whole plan, but you don't get the details of the plan. Mm-hmm. It was, I think, one of Frank's more interesting, Mister Herbert's whatever, uh, uh, literary choices, and it kind of ties in with mine. So I'm just uh, we can talk about it. I felt the Harkonnens were undersold as a total. We barely mm. get any time with the Baron, who, while slightly problematic to have your only gay character be a pederast, is also a fat-flying pedophile, which is the most horrifyingly, wonderfully over-the-top villain. Uh, fucking um, Skarsgård kills it, though. And he does great, but we He's don't, just barely in it. Yes, we don't <laughs> get that, like, oh shit, okay, the, the Atreides might be villains in their own way, but the Baron Harkonnen is straight-up evil. There's no subtlety to him either, and that's kind of what I love about him. Like, yeah, yeah, we didn't, yeah, yeah, we didn't really get that, did we? The closest we get is a scene where he's like, "How sad that I have to kill the Atreides." And they're like, "You could just not do this." 
you have instigated every single part of this. Like, it kills the importance, yeah. too, that Paul is a Harkonnen as well as an Atreides. In the book, huge giveaway, Jessica is the Baron's daughter, and even she doesn't Do know. Do you think that's still going to get revealed in part two? I'm, I'm very questioning about that, because I feel like... It, I feel like one of, they've kind of shifted a little. I feel like they've shifted some of the emphasis away from the, the Harkonnens. From, well, well, not just from the Harkonnens, but from the role of genetics. I don't blame them for being a little uncomfortable with eugenics mm. in 2021, yeah. but, uh, but um, you're right. Yeah, and like as I recall, doesn't Paul during the tent scene? That's first make he, that reaction, yeah. and they did not do that. No. And by virtue of not doing that, I feel like, I guess, especially in light of what I said earlier about that scene, I hope laid a lot of groundwork. Since that groundwork is not in that scene, I f- I would have to speculate that it's that they've elected to not make that as big a deal. See, I if there wasn't one other scene that we haven't got yet, I do think it's super easy to adapt that scene into happening when he drinks from the water of life. If they're going to do it, they'll do it there. I just don't know. It almost seems like they're more setting him up against the Emperor than they are the Harkonnens. Well, in the book, for large parts of it, it's him versus the Harkonnens, and the Emperor is almost an afterthought to him. Like, well, the only way I'll beat the Harkonnens is by beating the Emperor, so might as well beat the Emperor, too. I will say, in that same vein, who's the actor that they chose to play Peter? Oh, uh, David Despalchin. Polka Dot Man. Yeah, I just can never remember his name because it's about 18 syllables long. He is such the perfect choice to play Peter, and we got none of the scenes that revealed why he was the perfect creepy choice to play Peter. He very much gave me, at least for the bits of him that we did get, I very much got that snake vibe yeah. from him. I mean, mm-hmm. his again, I pay a lot of attention to body language, especially for this movie, paid a lot of attention to body language, and I don't know, he, I feel like even, the, even down to the way he carries himself... I mean, that that scene that I miss between the Baron Mm -hmm. and Piter and Fade is the one where, like, he, he, like, the Baron finally pisses him off at the end and he gets really creepy about, like, my payment is Jessica and shit. And, like, I think David Desmalchin could have knocked that out of the park. Oh, he would have killed it. The reason I think Peter is interesting is he's straight up the only reason he's not just a serial killer mentat is because the Harkonnen like keeps him busy doing horrific things. Mm -hmm. And something about that is so interesting to me as the guy that spent the last Mm. two weeks listening to like nothing but serial killer podcasts. Mm. Like he is, uh, and we just never, it was a missed opportunity. Are there any changes you guys actively just like? Do like? Yeah. Duncan Idaho is pretty much just Jason Momoa in the world of Dune, but I don't (laughs) give a fuck. Yeah, as I was re-going re- through the book and when I was re-listening to it, when it got to the actual description of Idaho, I was like, oh shit, they just fucking nailed it, didn't they? Like, Momoa <laughs> basically just is Duncan Idaho. <laughs> uh-huh. Duncan's amazing, and he does, he's the, and this is confusing, but he is the main character of uh, God Emperor of Dune. I'm not going to explain how, just roll with it. So, one, I just, I don't, they don't have plans to get that far, but I fucking hope we do, because I want Jason Momoa talking to a half-man, half-sandworm. But uh, desperately, desperately want that. But I'm also just willing to let Jason Momoa be Jason Momoa, so hell yeah. His, the scene from the Harkonnen attack on Jason Momoa was perfect. 
Mm-hmm. He was already great before that, but like just from that moment, his "You have fucking destroyed my house. I will destroy you now." Pulling the blade out, saluting, and then like stabbing a bunch of people. Fuck yeah! I mixed two things there, but still, that whole his death scene is perfectly done. Also, the ornithopters are the coolest fucking looking things of all time. Cool. I was about to say the my biggest change that I liked was in the book. The ornithopters are described as being a lot more avian. Oh, I always thought of them as, like, helicopters, but I think I blamed the 1984 Dune for that. Oh, yeah, no, they have, like, bird wings, basically. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Um, And the change to make them basically, like, dragonflies? Yeah, I loved that. Where I knew I fell in love with this version of the movie in the theater is when they started flying the ornithopters and the care was taken that all of those wings are moving individually. And I don't know enough aerodynamics to know if it was, like, proper, but it was consistent. Mm-hmm. with the way that they were moving around and everything was, and I was like, oh, every oh, time, the attention to detail. Thank you. Every time one of those showed up, CC spent the whole time being like, that's so fucking cool. <laughs> also, all of the ships, fucking cool. Oh, I, the scale. The, yeah. Um, something I wanted to make a point to bring up while I was here was, yeah, this the scale, like, I mean, I saw it in the theater and seeing that, seeing these ships in the theater is... I guess uh, uh, you you can't see this, listeners, but I mean, I my eyes are visibly getting wider. Like, the like, guild freighter, back in his chair. yeah. The guild freighter, holy, oh, it's holy so big. Shit. Well, and and the ways that they established, like, because I mean, it's you know, it's hard to do perspective in space because mm-hmm. it's so it's it's so it's big. incomprehensibly big to human minds, and the way that they managed to show scale of this of of this ship. Versus the planet of versus the normal ships. ships versus that. And they keep showing like tiny things coming out of it and then going up and you're like, oh, that's fucking huge yeah. too. And when, when the Atreides ships are leaving Caladan and we get to mm. watch them lift out of the water and with all, with just this massive metallic groans as they do that. Also the idea of just, oh yeah, we just store an entire, an entire space Navy in, in our, our ocean. ocean. Look, it's Caladan. You don't have that many options. <laughs> you know, that's fair. That's fair. But, I mean, the, yeah, the, the, the scale of the ships, and I don't know, I found myself paying a lot of attention to the technology. I mean, mm. Zach and I have talked at length about how, about how, like, how the technology kind of is in that universe, and um, for from my perspective, it's been a lot of kind of comparing it to Warhammer, since, you know, Warhammer just rips a lot of that Rob's straight out of blind. It. Yes. <laughs> and I, the inclusion of the, of like showing us as much of the battle scene as we were given, because I, I don't feel like we were given, mu- we weren't really given much of that in the book. It is kind of, okay, the, the shields are like, okay, Duncan's drunk, the shields are down. The battles they, in the books are from the viewpoints of characters that are having to be kept safe during the battles. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So they get snippets at best, yeah. and then they're whisked away well, somewhere. Yeah, and, and then you, they and do we, a great job of this one of it's not a battle, it's a slaughter. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and the book gave us, I guess, two additional bits of the battle that I thought were important. We get to see Gurney and his fellas afterwards, and we get to see Thufer and his fellas afterwards, mm-hmm. and how they're just... I mean, they're just demolished, but the, I feel like the, especially with how shields work in Dune, that battle scene showed that off in, 
in so many ways. Not just, and I, I really liked that they showed it, not just in how your troops are fighting, but when they are blowing up the Atreides ships. Like, right. you watch that bomb come, and then, okay, let me just... Uh, and then... Your, and boom! And the whole thing is blown to shit. And I, like, I found that, like, the... The way the lengths that they went to show us, here is what warfare looks like in this far future where everything's got shields and you have extreme limits on what you can do with guns by virtue of shields. I wish they had had even some kind of throwaway line about how dangerous it is for shields to interact with atomic weapons. Lasers. Atomic weapons, too. Because that comes up in the book. Atomics well, they, is a large part of the story. I felt, well, I felt like with the atomics, they were largely talking about how it's considered un, like, okay, yeah, we do a lot in warfare. Even that's too far, though, because of the sheer devastation that it does. I feel. Yeah, there's rules yes. on who then, you can use atomics on. And then he fucking uses them at the end of the book. It's a huge moment. But I also understand that this is not the 60s and we don't have the same obsession anymore mm -hmm. with uh, atomics. Yeah, you got to get the family atomics. <laughs> we probably should have a bit bigger of an obsession with nuclear bombs still because we still got them. <laughs> but... No, so this now is, we get to just worry about everything. hypersonic missiles instead. So I guess those are hypersonic atomic. Kind of a related question to changes you like, and maybe a little bit harder to answer. So if you don't come up with something, whatever. But did the movie give you anything that you didn't know you needed? And I guess my those own helicopters. Okay, because I was about to <laughs> say my own example was like I didn't know that I needed to be introduced to the Sardaukar with throat singing. And it blew me the fuck away. And legitimately, ever since I watched that movie, every time I upload one of our podcasts, that's what I have on in the background is just the Sardaukar That was something chant. else I wanted to bring up. I have actually, I, I, my brother hasn't had a chance to see the movie yet. I made sure to send him a, like, because I said, someone's made a 30 second clip of that. Mm -hmm. Also, someone has taken that chant and looped it for an hour. Which is what I put on when I'm uploading podcasts. And I mean, I've, I've listened to the hour long one once and I've listened to the 32nd one multiple times and forced my brother to listen to it multiple times. And I actually, I looked at some of the YouTube comments talking about that scene and someone was talking about, and I was, I was trying to, I was trying to find, I was trying to see if I could find it on my phone before we started recording, but I um, didn't, well, didn't look too hard. The way that they, I mean, in, in the book, we get a lot of, I shouldn't say a lot, but we get some bits of, hey, here's where religion has gone in, mm -hmm. you know, this in this massive span of time. And I feel like we really got a good glimpse of that in the Sardaukar scene because we've got this throat singing thing. Um, the YouTube comment that I was trying to find, someone kind of broke it down. We've got the um, the the priests going around doing the, doing the blood marking mm -hmm. have kind of a Catholic robes kind of feel to them. We've got literally Aztec sacrifice style stuff, <laughs> which I was not ready. Like I was not ready for that. The orange Catholic yeah. Bible is such a cool idea. It's fucked up. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and we get, and like in this YouTube comment, like someone 
taught was talking about like how the you know this dude up in effectively a menu a uh, one um a minaret you know like like they do in uh in Islam doing you know doing that shouting stuff but then it also kind of with how it was set up I guess there's a thing in some in some Christianity style stuff where you'll okay here's a priest that's like on top of a rock fasting and praying and preaching from on top of their rock so just the way that they combined for just this one scene in a way that they did not need to but did anyway to make to make you know to make this clearly a very ritualistic thing and then but then have all these little bits and pieces come from all these different places to feed into that that scene is absolutely amazing for all those reasons you mentioned i wanted to point out with the prisoners uh Aztec sacrifice isn't necessarily off, especially with the amount that they were doing, but very specifically, they were um, crucified upside down, which in normal, like pop culture imagery is usually associated with satanic stuff. Uh, the upside down cross is a Catholic symbol. It is the Peterine cross because St. Peter refused to be crucified in the same way as Jesus and thus was crucified upside down. Okay. That's some extra bullshit. I'm sorry. I'm not talking on shit on anyone's religion, but like, <laughs> damn, Peter. Um, and so, like, like brought up the Orange Catholic Bible is a big thing. So, like, having this weird, like, kind of twisted Catholic, like, imagery, but is also actually Catholic because some of the verses are that they bring up in the book are almost straight out of the Bible, but. One thing they didn't really explore is the whole concept of what is it Zuni Christian or Zuni Catholicism or something. The the idea that a actual like group of religious scholars from the various different religions got together and cobbled together a single human religion out of it, Mm -hmm. and it started a few wars. But you only learn this if you read the. the the little appendices and background stuff. It's a uh, Zen Sunni and um, Islamic Catholicism or something like that, or Catholic Buddhism, something along those lines. Now I know I tend to be the one a lot more into who everybody is in Hollywood, but since he wasn't in this, you guys have any dream casting for Fade Rautha? I think he did appear for like a single. No, that might have been Peter. God. I recognize that it's got to be intimidating to do a Fade Rautha when you already had fucking Sting do a not great but iconic Fade Rautha, but not having him at all. And he's not huge in the first part, but like it feels almost like going too far the other direction. Lee Pace, if he was like 20 years younger. Oh, yeah, true. He's getting a bit old. I know I made Fade fun of Fade is before. kind of supposed to be like the dark mirror to Paul in a way. Uh-huh. This is going to sound weird because we've seen him almost only as a good guy, but like, I'm going to say Tom Holland. Peter Parker himself? Yeah. Interesting. You know what? Actually, I could see that because the thing, like, in my mental imaging, mental picturing, I don't know, like, I I felt that they, the way they kind of chose to, hey, here is the Harkonnen aesthetic, I found, I found, I found interesting because it, like, it's it didn't it didn't quite like I mean, I could roll with it, but it was not what I was picturing in my head. But especially for, for especially for Foyd, like that's it's I could see I could see 
Yeah, I could see Peter Parker as that because I pictured him as a lot more of a not built kind of guy. Like the, No, he should be skinny and his head should always be a little tilted to the side as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, because, yeah, the, the, the book really painted him as conniving, you know, con- like conniving and like, especially in the, the, the later half of the book, he's, you know, he's conniving. He kn- I mean, he knows his poisons and what they, you know, we get that whole scene that tells about, oh, yeah, I go fight people with poisoned knives and then lecture people about what the poison is doing to this guy for sport. Like, that's that's my that's my hobby. And that and we get that whole scene. I don't see I don't see this depiction being like this. This depiction was brutish. No, that's the Beast Raban. Yeah, it? that was the Beast. That's his older brother. Yeah, we haven't had Fade yet. We've only gotten Beast Raban. Because they just had Drax play the Beast. The Beast is the one. Wait, that... they swap. I swear they called. I swear they. No, they call no, him no. Raban. Mm-hmm. Huh. Okay. I have a new. I have a new change to complain about then. <laughs> I guess that there's I, no fade and there's only Raban. I, I mean, that makes I literally thought that was supposed to be, I, I guess, uh, I guess I must Drax's have that fade is the most amazing idea I've ever heard of. <laughs> Look in the book where we get up to in this movie at this point in the book, there's only had the once. fade has only shown up physically twice. One time he literally just sits in this chair. And the other time is that scene that they cut with Piter mm-hmm. and otherwise he doesn't appear until after I think after Paul even drinks the water of life, when we have the Baron introducing him to Count Fenring. If you don't... Which actually, his introduction to Count Fenring would be an amazing way to introduce him to audiences as well. If you don't mention, and they didn't do this in the 84 Dune, and I heard him there as well, if you don't mention that Paul was supposed to be a girl... And he was supposed to marry Fade, and they would create the Kwisak Haderach. The scale of Fade's importance... They mentioned he was supposed to be a girl. Yes, but they don't mention that he was supposed to be wed to a Harkonnen to create the ultimate being. Which I guess I think is more evidence of I don't think they're going to be going that genetic angle as much for this uh, for this adaption. What about casting the Emperor? Michael Caine. I don't know why. I feel like he could play a rich old dipshit. Um, Kyle McLaughlin. Kyle McLaughlin? Oh my god. The classic Paul Atreides, that's perfect. He's actually pretty good too. Uh Patrick Stewart, just another like fantastic <laughs> of the old one. Oh god, who would be a good one? Um Morgan Freeman. No, actually that's like, that would be terrible. Uh, I don't know. I just want to be Colin McLaughlin. <laughs> it would be too much of a stunt cast to really work with how serious they're taking this, but not enough people would get it for it to really matter. Neil McDonough. Oh, Neil McDonough would be awesome. Oh, that's uh, fucking he great. He played, do you ever watch The Flash, Arrow, those things? Only, only. Okay. Did you pieces. watch Captain America, the first Avenger? I don't, I don't think I saw that one. I have nothing for you. This guy's a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> he chews a lot of scenery. He chews a lot of scenery. Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons would be fucking amazing. Scott. He's nodding. He, you, you can't see it. He's nodding. <laughs> uh, is there anything you guys wanted to bring up that I, we haven't been able to cover by me asking these questions? Does it count as a thing if I said I wish that I had had time to like 
memorize the starter car chant, so I could have just launched into that and just that's and have that be an entire statement. I've used the litany against fear to stop actual panic attacks, so I kind of wish we had gotten a little more of that. Um, I think only thing I have to say, just because we haven't mentioned her at all and we need to, is Zendaya. Oh, yeah. She's... She's not a huge part of the story yet, but she's not supposed to be. Shawnee will be much more in part I saw, two. Oh, somebody told me a breakdown of, of it the other day. I think she's in, on screen for like 11 minutes. I think she had one shooting day. I guess. But she's a, she's a big part because she's a recurring part. Her part is spread through the entire movie. But, but she's not a huge part of the story up to the part they stopped at. So, like, yeah, I yeah. wanted more, yeah. but there's no way we could have fit Shawnee mm-hmm. in more mm-hmm. already. Um, I was super sold by her on the scene, though, where she gives him her knife. And she's like, this was my great uncle's knife or great aunt someone's knife. You will die with it, but that will be a good honor for you to die with this knife. So make sure you're still holding the knife when he kills you. I'm like, that's why I like the Fremen. It's it's that right there. I miss just because it's one of the important things when Paul really starts understanding his how his powers work. Tell me of your homeworld, Usul. Yeah, tell me the waters your homeworld, Usul, is mm. what he originally hears in early in the book. And then later on you could you know that a change has happened because she tells me uh she says what is it it's like uh tell me of the seas of your homeworld palm wadib yeah there's a few basic words and he's like there's hope uh but they kind of did much more subtle ways of like you're already changing mm-hmm. the future i don't know if i would have gotten the way they're doing them if i hadn't read the book before he's like it's- imagining different ways that she stabs him mm. and then like changing it yeah yeah. Uh, and the guy cool. that he kills at one point is like, come with me and I will take you on a land of something adventure. <laughs> um, oh, other thing. The actress who played Le- uh, Dr. Liet Kynes. Oh, yeah. I don't have her in front of me. She's a white dude in the book, or at least a dude. I don't think it's specifically portrayed as white. He just has gone native. She's really good in the role. I really enjoyed her. And I'm yeah. sure she pissed off the people that I love pissing off with casting. <laughs> Sharon Duncan Brewster. That's who played Leah Kynes. Um, I just, I missed, I would say the part they toned down the absolute most in this movie is the ecology aspect of the book. They always do. This is a time where it would have been really, I understand this movie's already very full, but like... 2021, we get to talk about climate change every chance we get. See, and I feel like Kynes suffered from that, but I liked how Sharon Brewster Duncan portrayed her, and it was like I barely even noticed the gender swap, and I like her ending in this because it gives us an awesome shot of the worm, but I do miss her blowing like, up on the spice. Um, yeah, but when she's like bubble. beating her fist, summoning the worm, yeah. you're like, oh, you're dead. The other thing that they left out of her that is she had some level of actual leadership in the Fremen Rebellion oh, yeah. going down. Well, to the point where... They had a name for her that I can't... Oh, no, Liet they would... Liet. Oh, is it just Liet? Liet? Oh, yeah. 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 Liet's not did... her actual first name. And then in this one, it's just her first... Because I think they call her Dr. Liet Kynes in this... I could be wrong. Think I think so. I can't remember for sure. I, I know I know that I know that when they're when they're at the ecology station, the Fremen there all refer all refer to her as Liet. 
but they did. I did feel more like they said it as a title than that's your name. So I. This is why I've argued that Dune should be redone as a TV show if you're going to redo it because oh, yeah. there's so much happening. Mini series, limited series. Despite the sci-fi one being very boring because it's about eight hours long with no breaks, it's I think the best way to do it. That said, I think they did an extremely good job. This with one what they had feels like the book to me. More. Yeah, I even with the things I miss. Like although I'll say it's still not the book. No. Yeah, no. But it is good enough in its own right, I think. I as someone who knows Dune both very well and not well at all because it's hard to know Dune very well. <laughs> it was close enough in the spirit that I was able to accept some of the spots. I felt that they especially showing us um I I feel like they really did a good job of it with the st- the sh- uh, shots on Caladan of like bringing together like the the scale of history with here is you know super advanced technology with also here's a bunch of, like you know we have stuff that's literally done ain't like in more ancient approaches because that's how this universe has to be like I mean you know their 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 palace on Caladan is made out of stone. Yet they're all this, using swords. Well, I would oh, still. Oh, so that's a shield thing. But. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's yeah, they, yeah. They they do the swords by completely by necessity because you know you, the shields mean projectile weapons just are not going to cut it anymore. But like you know, like we get this, it, like you know, we get that shot where we have this ship that is elegant in its own way. The ship is, but the, like the Atreides ship is bulky and blocky. I mean, it looks. It looks like, okay, yeah, this is a thing. Like, I don't know, I, I got the feel of we've been using the same model of ship for a very long time. Like, it got that combination of, yes, technology is, you know, this is extremely high technology. Also, you know, it's kind of peaked. This is where it kind of stops. We get, you know, we they, they layered that. I mean, I guess for lack of a better way to put it, they captured the essence of it that later inspired Warhammer of this decaying like this high technology but also decaying everything's falling apart kind of feel and I mean Dune doesn't have as much of that decaying element but you can still see but like it's peaked yeah like it becomes this is, very clear in later books too that like civilization would have died humanity would have died if this didn't happen you can debate whether that's a good thing or not but like yeah and I guess I I feel for not having for not having dialogue include a lot of the and maybe I mean and maybe I'm mixing this up with later parts of the book, but for not having the dialogue have as much of the oh humanity is going to humanity is going to beef it if we don't do something that the Benny Gesserit you know their entire thing. The I felt that they did a good job of sh- of kind of very quietly showing us that this civilization is old and not in the storied history way but the like this is tired old this is slowly but steadily dying old it's i feel like it's very subtle but there and maybe you know maybe i'm projecting what i want to see onto it but i felt that if you're seeing it you're seeing it um i hadn't thought about that and i had something else but I'm kind of blanking it right now, and it was not nearly as, like, in-depth as your thought there. It was like, oh, I like the ships. Um, it was... I mean, the ships are fucking good. 
Uh, I mostly just wanted, like, the couple things that I just wanted to bring up was, like, I thought it was really neat that it was pretty obvious that Villeneuve kept with the Harkonnens having a Giger-inspired theme. Yeah. Uh, as the a guy nod. Who made alien? Like, uh, designed alien? Designed alien. Thanks. Okay. Because uh, Giger was originally in charge of all the Harkonnen shit for the Yodorowsky Dune. Um, on those same lines, I thought it was a real interesting choice not to show the sandworm until almost all the way through the movie. Mm, mm-hmm. For most, just doing kind of a Sarlacc-style teeth. When, again, in David Lynch, and we'll bring it up more next week, we see the sandworm almost. They're like, we're on Dune. Time to see some sandworms. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite, just like I watch way too many movies, so I've started to notice some of these things a little bit more, but beautifully just foreshadowed scenes, even if you didn't already know it was coming because we've read the book. Um, Paul and Leto... Leto instigates his talk about Paul's future in politics and uh, bringing him in onto the council right after he gets done visiting his own father's grave and as they walk amongst the gravestones of their family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose, you know, that is a thing actually I would add to the I missed pile is I felt like the book makes it very clear that Leto knows his back is to the wall and he is screwed in every way, shape or form. And he's going to give a good fight of it, but he knows it is a fight he is going to lose. They have bits of it here, but not nearly as strongly mm-hmm. in the book where he's like, I'm going to die, but I'm going to aim for that one in a hundred chance that if I don't die, I win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I felt like the book did a really good job of showing like, you know, everyone is pretty much on board with this understanding of, well, fuck all right, we're going to try, but well, fuck. And I, I feel like, especially in the scene where we see Gurney leading all the, you know, leading the charge with just the little comments that Gurney makes in that scene, it felt a lot more like they were not expecting this at all, or at least nowhere near to the extent that they do in the book. And I feel like that shows... I, well, I, in the book, the they... The force that shows up is literally double what their estimates were. Yes. But because they do give specific numbers on what their estimates were and what actually shows up later on. Uh, and traps that they weren't ready for was part of it. They're like, oh, we knew an attack was coming, but we didn't know that, like, they had beaten our... Because they didn't know about UA, so they didn't know that they had, mm-hmm. like, beaten their shields. Yeah. And I did... And I mean, I guess... I don't know. I suppose maybe that's... Hmm. I suppose... Yeah, I guess... I don't know. I felt... I felt like, especially because the book makes, gives us a lot of description of like, oh yeah, Leto looks like, like his face literally looks like it's a skull in this, like mm-hmm. imagery in this scene. And it just, I feel like they, I mean, I think, I think it worked for the movie to not have it be, I, I suppose as heavy handed as the book went with <laughs> Herbert it. is not subtle. <laughs> but. But it is subtly there, like. Mm-hmm. Here's your future yeah. in politics. I'm handing it over to you in the graveyard of our ancestors. You're going to die. I can see where they did bits of it. I agree that there was, um, it, and partly because we never got that scene that you talked about missing with Peter and the Baron, we don't see ever really see the full 
plan. Intricacies of the plan. In the same plans way... Plans within plans. Plans within plans with plans. Uh, if you don't mention the Imperial conditioning and how that's supposed to be unbreakable, you don't see how much of a coup it is that they swayed UA. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that... UA seems like a very obvious weakness that they're not accounting for when they seem to be accounting for so many other things. Well, in a lot of ways, the Bene Gesserit and Mentats have the same weakness in that they process information in certain ways, but if you put bad information in, you get bad information out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so nobody was able to account for UA because the only information they had was, this is unbreakable. And they were also a few hints of like, Lady Jessica, that if they hadn't thought UA is unbreakable, they would have taken a closer looks and been like, all right, that doesn't work as well. And mm-hmm. instead they were like, that doesn't really work, but it's literally all we got, so I don't... Because UA maybe... wasn't good at hiding it. No, UA was fucking dog shit. <laughs> he was ter- There's a scene in the book where he's like, why? Why didn't my Wana give me children? I'm like, because you suck. <laughs> um, God damn it, Dr. UA. And I forgot to mention it earlier, but also ever since reading the book, I've been part of a Facebook siege posting group. Oh, I think I joined that for a little while. (laughs) And one of the things, I don't know if this is actually accurate, but one of the things that I wanted to pass along that I thought was a super awesome bit of trivia that I noticed pop up in the group, once again, don't know if it's accurate, in Paul's vision, when you see the... uh, uh, Rebecca Ferguson, fucking Lady Jessica, and like <laughs> sitting down and like she's holding Elia and like she has the writing on her face and stuff. That is the litany against fear in Fremen. Oh, that'd be cool. Uh, that would make sense. I would. That would be fun. And that's the kind of stuff Villeneuve does. I did still. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've said that name right once. Um, I will warn you that if you watch this and you're like, oh shit, I think I like Dune, and you want to dive into the internet, be careful. A whole shit ton of Aryan fuckheads have desperately missed the point of Dune and get caught up in the like, yeah, fuck yeah, Atreides the same way I do, but they turn it super racist, super fast. I like the Atreides the same way I like Klingons. I don't necessarily want to live with them. But some people are like, see, Paul Bruce Hitler was right. And you're like, oh boy, you back right the fuck off. Like, <laughs> Oh, and there's one other, I don't know. I know Villeneuve has said that he has possible interest in adapting Dune Messiah to at least finish off Paul's story. I think he says he wants to do a trilogy and then use bits of Dune Messiah for it. He's not going to go farther, for sure, basically is what he said. Okay. Okay. But I do feel like he might have, I don't know, this has always stuck out to me. The very first time the Baron rises up in this, I think is supposed to be a visual nod to Leto II in the future. Possibly. It does have that the long silhouette drape and... going with it. And yeah. Um, also, just go you... and try, chime in on that. I thought the imagery that they did for that. I felt that they did do, do a very good job, a, a lovely job with imagery for the Baron. That's why this. I wanted so much more of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, bathing in oil was super over the top for that was a political and message tar. right there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, God. Ugh. <sighs> I feel like you don't hire Jason Momoa to play Duncan fucking Idaho without plans to use him more. Yeah. At the very least, and again, I'm going to give away stuff without explaining, Duncan's a significant character from after the first book. So, like, there's plenty of places to use him. 
But again, why would you not have him talking to a giant half-man, half-worm, <laughs> if you don't have that, like... I want Jason Momoa to sass Lido too. I know. There's, I'm sure there's a, a certain portion of people being like, what the fuck are they talking about? And they probably want to ask a lot of questions. Glaring at you. Um, I <laughs> fucking nailed that one. <laughs> if it makes you feel better, I have read God Emperor of Dune. It's one of my favorite things I've ever read. I don't know what the fuck is going on either. That's not the point. You also want to <laughs> axolotl questions. I'm just gonna I'm gonna walk out of this room entirely. <laughs> do we want to do recommendations? Do we have any last thoughts on this one? I think I like I've got like a million, but I've also not got that not that many more at the same time. Yeah. So I know I touched on the I touched on the big stuff I wanted to. Yeah, I'm good. All right. I'll go first some recommendations then. I'm gonna do a little different than I've uh, usually do because I'm not doing a specific piece of media, um, but I am going to recommend a specific author. Ron Mars is one of the most reliable comic book authors around. Um, he wrote, he created Kyle Rayner, my favorite Green Lantern. He uh, did epic runs on Silver Surfer, a bunch of other stuff. And I have been reading, I mentioned it last time, I've started reading Witchblade. And I was like, fucking yeah, Witchblade, Magdalena, who's a character who appears in it. Both of these characters are awesome. How would I never get this? And I went and got old issues of their stuff and went, Oh, I might just really like Ron Mars's writing mm. as opposed to the characters, the characters as much. Cause I can see how it's kind of cool, but like, this is, eh, but fuck Ron Mars's stuff was good. Um, same thing with cyber force. Although I really do enjoy cyber force, not as much as wildcats. Uh, he does the recent justice league stuff. He's got a new silver Surfer series coming out. He did a huge fucking crossover for dynamite that includes Ash from Evil Dead and Red Sonia. Oh, okay. And I want to read it so bad. That's awesome. Hell yeah. Will, do you have one? You know, I'm not sure I do this time around. All right. I've been, yeah, I oh, I've, I think I've been I think I've been deep diving too much on on Deep Rock Galactic. I guess that's going to be my recommendation. Deep Rock Galactic. Go, go. Yeah. Play Deep Rock Galactic. I'll let you in on a behind-the-scenes secret. Most of our recommendations are shit that we've watched or read within the last two weeks that we just... <laughs> oh, no, I saved mine for last because mine is the biggest cop-out. My recommendation is that you go watch the 1984 David Lynch do. Because that's what we're doing next time! <laughs> also, because I legitimately love it, and I'm super looking forward to re-listening to the book so I can see if I, like, don't just exclusively use imagery from the Lynch version anymore. <laughs> if you missed lines quoted exactly in the Villeneuve version, get ready for it. <laughs> it's for cattle and love play. <laughs> oh God, Patrick Stewart, you're so perfect. But that is next time. William, you'll be back for that. So cool. Uh, anything else we got to do? I think no, that's I'm it. Good. All right. Uh, we're general nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. I'm William. Dismissed. Hi, everybody. General Tyler here. If you like the show, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, or preferably over at Apple Podcasts, we would super appreciate it, as the whole world is ran on algorithms, and we want to be all up in them, getting our voice out to more places. Uh, also, I mean, tell your friends. We always appreciate that. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, ask us questions, give us comments, Email us, generalnerderypod at gmail.com. You can also contact us through our website, www.generalnerdcast.com. Uh, while you're there, 
check out all of our back catalog, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network. Uh, go check out all of our sister shows. We're involved with most of them, so if you already like listening to us talk, it might be in your best interest. And if you want to check out everything from the network, head over to earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. We'd super appreciate it. Love you all. Have a good one.